Hey everybody, thanks for tuning into this podcast today. We're going to talk about your next moment. That's what this podcast is about. What you going to do in your next moment? I got a great story to talk to you about. Did you know that God was going to kill Moses one time? You know that he sat there and was ready to kill him? And something happened to save his life. I'm going to talk about that in this podcast. Stay tuned and God bless. Hey everybody on Podcast Land, it's David coming at you with a new podcast. Well, let us start in Exodus chapter 4. We're going to read verses 21 through 26. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles which I have put in your power. But I will burden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord Israel, my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay your firstborn son. Verse 24 is the one I want to focus on. This will be our podcast. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Verse 25, Then Zipporah, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. Then it was that she said, You are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So, now there's a lot to unpack here. Um, Interesting story here. I came across this last week. In my reading, I read it and I said, You know, I didn't even decide to put it into a podcast. But today I was sitting here thinking, well, actually yesterday, I said, you know what, I'm going to put that on a podcast. I told my wife, I, I need to talk about this because I think it's interesting. I read it to her and I said, listen, I want to show you something that I've never seen before. I know I've read it, but I just, there's times when you just read stuff and you don't focus in on it. And then there's other times you're reading and your, your ideas are different, your experiences are different. And so when you focus in on something, you see it differently. Now, what did we just read there? We read an interesting story. The Bible says that the Lord sought to kill Moses. He sends Moses on a journey to go to Pharaoh. We all know this story. To go and tell him, let my people go. But in this scripture we just read, it goes a little further to say, go tell Pharaoh to let my son go. He calls the children of Israel his son. And he said, he will not because I will burden his heart. He will harden his heart. And if he does not let my son go, I will kill his firstborn son. So we're seeing the Lord God. You can judge God if you want. You can come up and say, God is a racist. God is this. God is too extreme. God, whatever you want. But you're talking about God, folks. Don't forget. You're talking about the creator of all things. So it doesn't matter what you call him, what you perceive. He is who he is. I am that I am, just like he said. Now he said... To Pharaoh, through Moses, he says, As you go there, tell him to let my people go, let my son go. If not, I will kill his son. That's what he said. Very interesting, huh? That makes a lot of sense as we know the story. But one thing that doesn't make sense is what we just read. 
As Moses turns into a lodge for the night, the Lord stood by the way to slay him. He was going to slay Moses. Now, that don't make no sense, does it? does not make any sense that God sends a man on a journey and then on that journey decides to go kill him. We have no apparent reason why. We don't understand any of the reasoning behind it. We don't know anything except for the little clues that are given there to try to figure out. And I believe it's a parable in a way. For those who want to seek a little further, there's always more to learn. I'm very amazed at forensic science and detective work and all that stuff. I watch a lot of it as much as I can just to see the techniques. And I'm just amazed at the skill that people can find stuff where there is nothing. I also knew many people in my life that could do those word puzzles, those crossword search puzzles, or also those ones where you fill in the little boxes, you know, the ones that are on newspapers and people are sitting around in restaurants and they're drinking their coffee filling them out they ask every now and then a question about the clues and somebody will blurt out the answer and they'll write it in or they'll argue back and forth which is the answer and I seem to never figure it out like they'll just give you a couple little clues and you got to write it in there and there's so many words it's like a word search or a word box fill-in puzzle same thing with forensic science same thing with clues and detective work same thing with solving crimes you have to go on very little and you have to have a certain kind of mind for that But, as the preacher of a gospel, we are given something different. Just like those detectives have their skill, us preachers have a skill. You may ask, well, what is that skill? Our skill is listening to God and then relaying what he wants us to say. That's all we have to do. That's the simple simple version of it. God tells us, we respond and tell people. The problem gets in the way when you don't want to listen to God or you want to change what God says and do what you want. That's when you run into problems. Now, as a preacher, I was intuitive to say, God, what is going on here? I don't understand this. And so I started searching and I have little tools every now and then I get to pull out and use like my concordances and all those little uh, dictionary books, Bible dictionaries and stuff like that. Now, I'm from old school taught by God that I like to have the physical stuff. I'm not against the online stuff and that, but the physical stuff I like to be able to open up and look at. And I told people years ago in my preaching, you know, times behind a pulpit, try to get the older dictionaries and keep them because they're changing definitions. And yes, they have been changing definitions online. You will never even know it. You'll go look something up and you'll never even know that the definition is no longer. It'll subtly change here and there a little bit and it's for an agenda and most of you don't have a clue what the agenda is and if I started telling you most of you don't even listen to me you shut me off now we have a situation here Moses the man of God pulls into a place so get this picture in your head folks I don't know if you're in your car riding right now I don't know if you're home sitting I don't know if you're drinking coffee but I want you to sit back and just listen to my voice for a minute and go where I'm going to lead you and let's take a journey in this scripture let me read it in its context revised standard version and Exodus chapter 4 verse 24 at a lodging place on the way the Lord met him and sought to kill him Then Zephora took a flint and cut off 
her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. Then it was that she said, You are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now, let's, let's see what we can glean out of these little statements here. So, the Lord sends them, so he's on his way. They're tired. They must have had a little bit of extra pocket change. Let me put myself in these shoes for a moment with my wife. We're riding along, and I say, hey, honey, I'm tired. Lord's got me on a mission. Let's, let's, let's take a break. And she'll look at me and say, hey, let's go to a hotel. Well, we can't really afford it. Yeah, we can. Let's go. Okay, so let's stop at a hotel. That's what Moses is doing with his wife, Zephora. They're stopping into a hotel at that time. The hotels would have been called an inn. And this is where they're turning into. Now, as I read this for the first time, the first thing that popped in my head, and it might pop in your head, is the birth of Jesus Christ. Do you remember that? Remember Mary and Joseph? They're on their journeys, and she's pregnant, getting ready to give birth, and she's feeling those birthing pains, and all of a sudden she's needing to go into a place, and the only place is there an inn, so they turn into it, and there's no room there for them. There's no one. It's all it's all filled up because of the Passover, because of all the travelers that are going there to do sacrifice to the Creator. They didn't understand that what was being born right in their midst was the Creator. He was coming forth in the earth, and nobody even knew it. Wouldn't give him room. Didn't have a clue he was even showing up there. But yet they were so so enamored by the Passover that was getting ready to happen that they couldn't fail it, they couldn't miss it, that they wouldn't give room to the Passover. There's so much there, folks, so much there to glean from in our lives. Are you doing things in the name of God at the same time you're killing God? Think about that. Are you doing service for God in the name of goodness, in the name of righteousness, at the same time you're murdering God? Oh, let's not go that far. Let's not go that far for you folks today. Are you called to do things for God and you're on your way to do things for God and you don't give him no room? (laughs) Think about those statements, folks. Just think about those statements. We all fall in that category, every one of us. And the problem I have is the ones that want to be self-righteous, that want to look down on others and say, I'm called, you're not. I have a calling, you do not. When I look in the face of that and I say, you're a liar because we're all called, we're all disciples, we are all called to show forth the praises of him who sent us. We are all ambassadors of Christ. We are all sent from another place. We are all born again in the name of Jesus and kingdom of God. Not one of us is bigger than the other. Not one of us has a better job than the other. We all work hand in hand for the only one. His name is Jesus. The one that had no room in the inn. Now I know I've sidetracked from our main story. I'm not lost track of what we're talking about. I'm painting an inn for you because when Mary and Joseph turned in, it had to be kind of late. Maybe just before dark because the marauders that are out stealing and looting, they might've been fearful of whatever they were carrying. Joseph being a man, as I'm a man, I, I would just look at my wife and she's giving birth and it's scary. It's a scary situation. It's excitement. It's it's all kinds of stuff. You don't know what's going to happen and you're just caught off guard and you just want to get into a safe place and that's probably what he was thinking. And when he got there, they turned him away and says, nope. 
and they were persistent and they said okay you can have a manger you can have the spot where animals go go where the sacrifices hang out which is fitting because that's what Jesus is is sacrifice so he goes to the spot where sacrifices are kept and he's born the greatest sacrifice that ever was on the earth now this is the type of in I get in my head when I'm thinking of this story with Moses now we got to go back couple more thousand years before Jesus to the spot where Moses is and it would have had the Egyptian cantor whatever the decor all the stuff upon it would have been Egyptian because Egyptian was the ruler of the world it was the superpower of the world and the touch of Egypt was everywhere the Pharaoh was everywhere the Ra gods were everywhere and here we got shepherds coming through the desert and they turn into an inn Moses and his wife Zephorah and their little baby they say they have a baby there now let's take the details that are left here and see if we can bring something out now I read a commentary that kind of gave me all these clues which helps me to just explain it to you in a lot better way that might glean something so we have Moses now turning in because God was going to kill him now he's got to be in a bed because the clue that Zephora takes the foreskin, if you don't know what a circumcision is, that's what we all get here in America too. But they were commanded to do this. Moses was, and it was a commandment. If you didn't do it, then it was very bad in God's eyes. And he wanted every male to be circumcised like this at a certain time. There's a lot of more details we'll go into on in different podcasts if we ever get to it. I'll talk about that. I'll talk to you about the Ark of the Covenant and all that stuff in the future, but let's talk, let's just keep this simple for what we're talking about today. And so he didn't circumcise his son like he was supposed to because his wife did it. Now, something had to have hindered Moses. A couple things come to mind is either he was sick, and this is why the Lord was going to kill him because he was sick unto death, maybe. And as he's sick laying there in bed, his wife finishes out the circumcision, wipes it on his feet, and calls him a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. And that that supplied God enough to say, okay, I'm not going to kill you. And then Moses recovers. We could look at that. That's a plausible. That's very plausible. Another one could be Moses was drunk. He was in bed, and, and God forbid we speak bad about prophets. But for some reason, he was in bed and wasn't able to get out, wasn't able to perform this circumcision, didn't perform it on the time he was supposed to. He could have forgot it, but he turned into the inn. Maybe somebody there was selling a nice jug of grape juice or something. Anything could have happened. He could have came in contact with somebody that got a sickness on the way, and he was unable to perform this, and God was going to kill him. But he was protected by his helpmate. His helpmate came to the rescue. And I told my wife this. I said, see, there was a very important part that his wife played there. It's, it's kind of interesting to see that Moses was an, unable to perform his ministry. So his wife steps in to help. And it, it, it supplies God enough mercy to not commit judgment upon the man of God. See, and we also see something here that God is not partial. That if God was going to show favoritism, it would be to the man of God here, Moses, and say, Oh, Moses, I will, I'm going to overlook what you did. Don't worry, Moses. But I try to warn people. 
especially those that have giftings, ministries, those that preach, those that tell people certain things and preach certain things. And then you look at their life and they hide. They hide certain things. They don't want you to see it. They don't want you to know it. They live a certain way. They say, I can, I tell you to do this, but you do as I say, don't do as I do. You're in a very dangerous spot when you do that. And you know, you think that by you living and you getting away with it right now, you're away with it, but you're not getting away with anything because if you can't sacrifice that thing and take the pain right now in the midst of good time, when the trouble happens and you got to pay for that, that sin, you're not going to be able to pay for it. I'm telling you, you're not going to be able to pay for it. And this voice is telling you out of love that you have to repent. You have to repent. Now saying, God, forgive me. And then doing it again is not repentance. That's not even, that's after the first one or two times. I don't even know after the first one, if God even looks at it, he might not even listen to you asking for forgiveness. I'm telling you, because that's not forgiveness. How can you do something and then go and do it over and over and over and over and over again and be so stalwart to not accept what I'm saying? That does not come from heaven. That comes from the pits of hell to keep you in chains. Those are called everlasting chains. Those are bound. You are bound. And this voice is preaching something to set you free. And at the same time I'm preaching it, you're hearing other voices that are attacking this voice that is is trying to help you. And it's got love and it's got freedom attached to it. Now, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my son go. If he does not let my son go, I will kill his son. Now, I'll close with this. I gave you some heavy stuff a minute ago. I want you to think about what we just read, what we talked about. You can go back and look it up. Read it. I got more stuff I'll be talking about. I told you before, I got lots of good stuff. It's really hard to give a good um, Bible study in detail anymore because people have attention spans that are very small they don't want to hear that much so i try to do it in bits and pieces and i've been stringing them out farther trying to help everybody out that way but i have a son and i i put myself in these shoes when i'm listening to these these stories or i'm reading them and i say okay god i'm gonna go tell pharaoh to let my son go and if he doesn't i'm gonna kill his son I can imagine being in God's shoes, how much he loves his son. It's, it's an unconditional love. There's like, there's, there's no words. As a father, you really can't put words to it. It's just something that is. It's like, it just is. It's not like I had to be, learn how to love my son. It just is. It's not like something I have to go to school for. It just is. And there's a, there's a sense of protection that comes with that. Like, I understand if little kids are picking on each other. I'm not going to, I'm just a superpower that's going to walk over and hit a kindergarten on top of the head and knock them out. That's not what I'm talking about. And don't take what I'm taking out of context. That was unjust. Now, imagine if uh, a senior, a 19 year old, walked over to my little boy that's a year old, year and a half old, and starts to beat him up, pick on him. Do you understand what a father's, what a father would do? And I would say to any level of anybody, I was, 
I'll close you with this thought. And this is kind of where I was at when I was thinking a lot of this. I was in a sandbox with my son about a week ago. We went to uh, um, not a pumpkin farm, but an apple orchard with my stepdaughter, Sophia. We all went, the family got together at the school we went. My wife's a teacher there and uh, got great standing and great, just great, great friends there, great people. And so we're sitting there and uh, I take time as we're, we get our free time in this apple orchard, do what we want. They have a lot of things you can do with the kids and stuff. So I go to a sandbox, it's a huge sandbox. They have lots of toys and stuff in there for kids. And I sit in there with my son and he's playing, you know, he's just having a great old time. And so I take a bucket and I start filling it with sand and I start tipping it over and making like a sandcastle, traditional type sandcastle with a bucket. And I'm making all these little bucket type piles of sand. I got like 10 of them in a row, just making them and letting him just play with them, smashing down if he wants to, but he's looking at them because it's once you take something that's nothing like that, like sand and you make it into something, it brings a wonder to people. Like you look at it, even a kid will look at it and say, even though they want to smash it, they'll they'll try to be nice to it at a moment or something. While this other kid comes walking over and just starts destroying it for no reason. Just starts smashing everything out. Just walks right in the midst of us and just starts smashing it. And I said, hey, why would you do that? Why are you smashing this? We're playing here. I'm not doing it. He said his toy is doing it. And he took his toy and he just kept smashing it. I said, yeah, but why? you're the one controlling the toy. Stop controlling the toy and it will stop. And he says, no. And he just kept smashing it. And then he just walked away and disappeared. And I thought to myself how rude that was. My son is sitting there. He's flinging sand around, getting it in his eyes without a care of anybody's, doesn't care. Just, just the kid comes over and just starts smashing stuff and walked away. In a moment of a father and son moment that is sitting there just having their moment. Now, let's look at the world now, folks. The world is like that. Everybody's just trying to have their moment, their father and son moment, their life moment. They might've got a promotion on the job moment. They might've got a raise moment. They might've got a healthy bill of life moment. They just might've beat cancer moment. They might've just went through a, they just might've missed a divorce moment and didn't have to get divorced. They got a refresh in their family, their wedding, they're happy. Life is going good. They just got a brand new car moment and some crazy person comes walking in the midst of it and destroys your moment. Just starts destroying it. What is that in your life? How does that look in your life? We all have that. I know things are coming to mind. I know you're thinking about it. I don't have to be explanational. And But how are you going to deal with it? How are you going to act? What are you going to do about it? What is the right thing to do? We all can act crazy. We all can become that bad person and ruin somebody else's moment. But how are you going to deal with it? I want you to think about that. And I want you either in your moment now or the next one to do the right thing. And I want you to give God his moments because you're his son. And he will destroy Pharaoh and his firstborn for you. He will. He will move mountains for you. God loves you. God loves you so much. So I want you to take this podcast, cherish it, use it, and glean from it. And with that, God bless.
Hey, thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Hope it wasn't too long and I hope it fit right into your schedule. And I hope that you enjoy your day. And just like we said in this podcast, your next moment is coming. You're either in that moment now or somebody's trying to destroy your sand castle, your time with your child, your life situation. And what are you going to do? What is your answer for the next moment? How are you going to handle your next moment? And I want to leave you with that today. And just pray for one another. Pray for me and my family. We love you and we thank you for our sponsors out there. And you enjoy your day and this week. God bless. Hey, have you ever heard of MyPillow? I'm sure you have. It's on all the commercials that you can see on TV. Well, I'm a user of MyPillow. I used to have migraines, real bad neck aches, but MyPillow helped me in such a way that I don't get migraines and I have to use MyPillow every time I go to bed. I even take it when I go on a trip. My wife and I have to have our pillows, the MyPillow with us wherever we go. You can get the MyPillow too by going to MyPillow.com. Mike Lindell is a Christian, he's a good man, and he produced a very good product. I am advertising my pillow for free for him. And if I were you, I would buy a my pillow. I'm doing it because I know it works. It's a great product and it'll be a great blessing to you and to whoever you buy it from. God bless and go to mypillow.com and order my pillow or wherever you go and you see a my pillow, buy the my pillow and watch. You will be blessed. <laughs>